0: continuing with uh, Pastor Mark's series from Galatians, uh, Colossians chapter 3. Helps if I'm in the right book. Uh, Colossians chapter 3 and down around verse 18, Paul writes these words that have lived in infamy ever since. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, or sometimes you could call that parents, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. In verse 21, that word that says fathers there is sometimes translated in other Bibles as parents because In some languages, the plural word for uh, something is, means, you know, a set of. Kind of like if I was in the Spanish church and I said hermanos y hermanas, that's brothers and sisters, but if I just said bienvenidos los hermanos, I'm talking to everybody because hermanos can be a a general term for all, all the people, brothers and sisters together. That's the kind of thinking behind this Greek word that's used here. For fathers, so it can be parents as well. We're going to be looking at at this particular passage. I'm going to be bringing in some other translations. How many of this is the New American Standard version uh, that I've read here to you today? How many of you are aware of the Message Bible? Yeah, we're going to be referring to that and also the Amplified Bible. Anybody use that? Or yeah, those are both really good versions to give you some more insight into what's behind our English, because our English sometimes doesn't adequately express what Paul was saying. So we're going to look at that a little bit and try to help us. There is a parallel uh, passage that you're probably aware of in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verses 21 to 33, that pretty much follows right along with what we're going to be covering today. So when God says something twice in the scriptures, is he just trying to fill up pages? No. No. He's trying to get a point across that we don't want to hear. <laughs> that's, that's what happens. When he repeats something in the Word, it's not just to fill up a page. It's because we, we don't want to hear it in here. So that's why this, this passage is almost repeated verbatim in Ephesians chapter 5. Now, let's start out this thing by talking about the fact that there is a biblical family dynamic. Uh, that's required for successful family relationships. If we don't use the family dynamic that is presented to us in the scripture, we're immediately off the track. And we can expect problems and issues to arise. Because riding off the rails, not very comfortable, and can usually result in uh, crashes and such. So today we're going to talk about those three words that we just mentioned in this passage. Submission, which everyone loves to hear about. Everybody loves submission? Not my flesh, it doesn't. It's still fighting. Um, submission, love, everybody loves to talk about love. Right? I'm, I'm a child of the 60s, so we talked about love a lot. In the 60s, while we were wearing our paisley and bell bottoms. And then... Um, obedience, which is another one of those fun words that uh, especially young people like to hear when it regards them and their parents. Um, So we're going to look at that submission, love, and obedience, and how that is the biblical dynamic that leads to a happy family, a successful family in God's eyes. And that's where the real success is valued, isn't it? It's not how we think of ourselves. It's what God thinks of us. Um, there's a lot of opinions floating around today about this and that and the other thing, but let me tell you, God's opinion is the only one that matters. And his is written down in black and white and has been retained for us over thousands of years so that we wouldn't have the excuse of, well, you know, I don't remember that because it's not around anymore. It is. It's still around. So, Pastor Mark talked last week from verse 16 about the fact that Paul wrote, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. And he talked about a little bit about the fact that that richly dwells means make a home in, make a home in. And so from that point on, really, Paul is talking about the home. God being at home in us and us being at home with him and letting that dynamic be the overarching principle for our families and for our homes. The scripture tells us very clearly in family terms, that we are the children of God. John chapter 1 and verse 12 says this, But as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So those of us that are believers in Jesus Christ are children of God. We're part of his family. We've been adopted in, which I'll get to in a minute. The second one is we are the bride of Christ, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 to 23. I won't take the time to read that whole passage because we've got a lot of ground to cover today. But if you read that passage, which is the parallel passage to this one, it talks about the church being the bride of Christ. So if we're part of the, of the body of Christ, the, the church that God established, then we are the bride of Christ, and the bridegroom is coming soon. The third part is that we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. Romans chapter 8 and verse 15 and following says, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. Notice that word fear. It's going to come up a lot today. Leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of god we're adopted in grafted in you know up until christ came it was all about the jews when he came through his blood now we have the opportunity to be grafted into the family of god to be those chosen ones that pastor has been talking about so that's where we need to start is realize that if we're consider ourselves saved born again in relationship with christ we're family We're family. So I'm not just talking about a home here where we go individually to our homes or what uh, Jenny and Sean are gonna establish on Saturday. I'm talking about the home, the family that is the church as well. Because the same dynamics that apply to that home, that individual home also apply to the greater principle of family within the church. And so as we're talking about this today, I want you to hear the principles behind this don't strictly focus on the marriage relationship or the parent-to-child relationship because I know there's some single folks in here that you're kind of saying, well, how does this apply to me? It does. It does because we're part of the family of God. So let's get to the fun part. Verse 18. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And then that an interesting little phrase to add on to the end of that? Um in the uh, amplified bible it says wives be subject to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord wives be subject to your husbands subordinate and adapt yourselves to them as is right and fitting and proper duty in the Lord So no matter how many translations you read it's still going to come back to that same thing You know, you could try to find the the women-only translation, maybe, uh, or the feminist translation that uh, will give you that out, but these don't. And then in the Message Bible, it says, Wives, understand and support your husbands by submitting to them in ways that honor the master. Do you see where the emphasis on this is? It's not as much submitting to the husband thing and we're going to talk about what submission is and isn't. But it's more about pleasing him. That's, right. That's the focus. We can get our focus off of the dynamic of, oh, man, I've got to submit, to the focus of I'm doing what the Lord wants me to do and what makes him smile. That's the goal. So we look at this and then we, we say, what does it mean, sub- subject to? It means that acknowledge your husband as the leader of the home. Hmm. Did, I, did I hear some rebellion just rising up? <clears throat> oh, well. We'll get there. <laughs> then he says, as is fitting to the Lord, the actions that are due someone, due to the Lord. Fitting to the Lord means it's due him. This is what he expects of us, is, is behavior that agrees with what his word tells us. Now, do you believe that the scripture is inspired... By the Holy Spirit, all of it, Old Testament, New Testament, Gospels, Epistles. So this stuff that Paul is writing, he's not just off on some tangent by himself because he was, you know, some male chauvinist. He is writing as the Spirit directs him to write. And so we need to pay attention to what Paul is saying here by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. To do that, let's look at what is submission. Let the fun begin. Submission is a voluntary yielding to the power or authority or desires of another. Key phrase for us, in obedience to God. In obedience to God. So we're not submitting to, one, to, to uh, power or authority of other people because they're better than us, because they know more than us, or anything like that, it's because this is what God wants us to do. This is what God has told us to do. So when you get to what God has commanded, there are not many options. Obey, disobey, right? And guess what? Delayed obedience is disobedience. Yeah. So when we put it off or try to figure out ways around it and look for loopholes, we're still disobeying because we haven't yielded and obeyed yet. And that applies to anything. That's a general principle, not just family relationships. Biblical submission is yielding your rights or will to another out of respect for God or respect for the position of another. In this case, it's respecting God and the position because this is the way God has set it up. Now, the men are feeling pretty good at this point. Wait until we get to what submission is not submission is a voluntary yielding to the will of another so it's not begrudgingly saying oh I don't know that's what the word says i guess i got to do it no it's a willing submission because we want to please god submission is an inner attitude of the heart so we can't just push this thing out on the surface and not change the way we feel inside it has to be rooted and grounded in our relationship and our love for the Lord. If it doesn't, it's going to come out as bitterness later. Okay? Does that make sense? Yes. Love it when Pastor Mark leaves me with these. <clears throat> <laughs> now, he said, he said to me, he said, Hey, John, since you're not going, you can do this message because you're the marriage guy, right? love our pastor I really do so let's look at what submission is not many people submission is a negative it's an offensive word that results in a misunderstanding of God's basic intent it's based on a fear really and we'll get to that in a minute biblical submission is not blind obedience or fearful acquiescence, but a position of strength that trust in the sovereignty of God. Really Key words, fear, trust, sovereignty. Okay? And we're going we're to look at those three words in relationship to each other and how to get that fear out and build the trust in because that helps immensely when it comes to submission. Because guess what men are not exempt from submission we all submit to the authority of the Lordship of Christ and we'll get into that a little bit too. So the light of the world's distorted view in light of this world of world's distorted view what is helpful to know is what submission is not. Submission is not bowing and cowering before someone. That's not submission. So those, those of you husbands that want your wife to kiss your feet in it, it doesn't work that way. That's not what it's about. It's not about, about someone being subservient or second class. Equals in God's sight. Eve was taken from the rib of man so that she could be alongside of him. Equals in God's sight. It's not about being inferior or self-effacing. In other words, we don't have to go around with our heads bowed and our eyes not looking at the great one, you know, the husband. That's not what it's about. That's not what it, Diane has never done that. No. If she ever did, I'd know she was mental. <clears throat> It's not about degrading or humiliation. Love does not degrade. Love does not humiliate. And when we get to this next step of love, husbands love your wives, you're going to understand that a little more. Those those dynamics of love and uh, submission and obedience have to work as one in accord with one another for the plan to work the way God intended. Submission is not non-assertive or non-confrontational to be submissive doesn't mean you don't have an opinion okay to be submissive doesn't, ne- doesn't mean that you don't get to express how you feel or what you think it doesn't mean that he has that veto power and says no shut up we're going to do it my way and that's because of the next phrase husbands love your wives it doesn't work that way it doesn't mean being indecisive or indirect. You can be decisive and you can be direct. Okay. There's that old, that old thing, you know, of, of uh, the, uh, the love-hate kind of thing where uh, people are non-confrontational but they kind of have this backdoor way of getting even. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Where, where they'll smile to you in your face but later on they'll find a way to get back. <laughs> That's not the way God wants marriages to work. That's not the way he intended it to work. So we have to understand what submission is and is not and what obedience is and is not. And, and Jenny and Sean, this was not part of our counseling, but it's good stuff to wind up with on the last week. <laughs> They're asking me, which one is this applying to? <coughs> Submission is not flattery or manipulation. It's not just, you know, blowing smoke. It's not trying to manipulate with words or actions, you know, to butter them up or or whatever you want to call it. That's not submission. That's falsehood. That's fakery. And that will crumble. And it is not peace at any price. Submission is not peace at any price, okay? It doesn't mean you have to do whatever in order to keep peace in your home because that's not really peace. It's a lie. Living a lie is not peaceful. It's not peaceful at all. And so truthfulness has to be part of that. So, what causes problems with submission? I know all of the women are saying, men. No. (laughs) No. One thing is, and it's a primary, unhealthy bondage to fear. A fear based on insecurity. A fear based on lack of trust. A fear based on lack of understanding the sovereignty of God. Freedom from fear comes through a submissive and obedient heart when it is done properly. Remembering what fear is, uh, what submission is not when it's done properly. The root cause of resistance to leadership and authority, read in submission, lies in not understanding or failure to trust the sovereignty of God. A lot of churches have authority issues. Well, guess what? Authority has been the real issue since Adam and Eve right? The sovereignty of God was the issue in the garden and it hasn't diminished at all. Submission to the authority of God rests in trusting his sovereignty, trusting who God is, trusting in his character that he is a loving God. Submission is based on fear, uh, rather submission based on fear or that results in a violation of God's will or word is not appropriate. So submission doesn't involve someone telling you to do something and you submit to it and it winds up being a sin. That's that's not submission. That's deception in the name of submission. We really, you know, we really have to establish this kind of stuff that these problems have been with us generationally and it's time for us to wake up and understand what's really going on. The enemy knows what God has taught and his purpose is to undermine, see Garden of Eden, what God says. If God says this is the way to do it in his word, the enemy tries to take that and twist it and says, no, he didn't really mean that. Isn't that what he told Eve? You shall not surely die. It's been like that ever since. And he has entered into the marriage relationships and in our homes in the same manner. Undermining what God has said and replacing it with deception. We believe the lie because it's much easier to live with at the moment. This bondage of fear needs to be undone. This unhealthy understanding of the sovereignty of God needs to be re-educated. To understand that while the enemy is playing games and deceiving, God has always been the same. His truth has not changed, will not change. What he said stands. What he says here in this passage of scripture through Paul's writing stands regardless of cultural influence, regardless of societal pressures, regardless of social media, regardless of what everybody on Facebook is liking. God's word stands against all of that. Right. And if he didn't say it, you really should put, walk tread softly there. If he did say it, stand on it. If he didn't say it, tread softly. If he did say it, stand on it. So now let's look at this dynamic. Where God wants to establish our personal boundaries based on the scripture. So that we don't feel like we, we have to submit when we're pressured to step over into sin. But we can establish what God has said. Submission is also in that relationship with the Father, with the Son, with the Holy Spirit, and with each other. So you see the family dynamic, that's what we're looking at. This little unit that we call family is based on these larger principles of how we relate to Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and then to each other based on the previous three. You follow? So to the Father, We have to submit to the sovereignty of God who loves us. Don't forget those last three words. Who loves us. His sovereignty is not oppressive. His sovereignty is not oppressive. His sovereignty is love. It's not a fence to be jumped over. It's a barrier to keep us from getting hurt. That's the sovereignty of God. We have to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. We have to acknowledge God is sovereign. We have to acknowledge that the the son is sovereign and that everything the father and the son do are for our good. That's what Paul said. All things will work together for good everything he does for us is good doesn't mean it ain't painful sometimes doesn't mean it's not going to be a struggle sometimes doesn't mean that our flesh won't rise up against it and rebel and try to do it our own way anyway but God doesn't change in the midst of all that never has never will his motivation which is another key is love we have to submit to the leading of the Holy Spirit who loves us The Holy Spirit inspired those who wrote the scriptures. So submitting to the Holy Spirit means submitting to the word. Submitting to the Holy Spirit means submitting to the word. It doesn't mean some person coming out of the blue and say, I've got a word for God from you for you. God told me to tell you. Mm. My past experiences that raises all kinds of red flags right away. Because I'm saying, well, why didn't he tell me? There you go. Exactly. You know, I can read the Bible just like anyone else. And if God wants to say something to me, his Holy Spirit can bring that out to me as well as he can to someone else. That's right. That doesn't mean that you know, in a, in a public setting like this, I'm sharing with you what the Holy Spirit has shared with me. As I, I told you before, all messages that I preach, the Holy Spirit preaches to me first. And then I can share them to you. Doesn't mean I got it all together, but I have a responsibility to share what he says. And then you should go back to the scriptures and validate what is being said. Not according to Trahan, but according to the word. Okay, I'll move on. The last one, the fourth one is, we have to submit to one another who are commanded to love as he did. Do you see how love is connected in all three of these, or all four of these? What did Jesus say? This is how we'll be known as his disciples. By our love for one another. Now, granted, trusting in God, the Father, Jesus, the Lord, and in in the word by the Holy Spirit is much easier and less complicated, let's say, than trusting in one another. Because we all have that human flaw, you know, we all have that human tendency to maybe bend it a little bit in our favor. That's flesh, by the way. I was born again in 1968. So figure you can figure out my birthday that way. Um, I was born again in 1968. Do I have it together? Absolutely not. No, nope. I'm trying. And God's still working on me. But it doesn't mean I'm going to be perfect in everything I do and say expecting an amen from over there but she didn't <clears throat> huh she nodded oh, okay i missed the nod i look for my cues from over there cuz she's she's been my sounding board since i started preaching you know <clears throat> she tells me amen. <laughs> authority is and always has been the issue trusting god's love is the answer This is the key to submission. Authority is and always has been the issue. Trusting God's love is the answer. So we have to remember that. The opposite of submission is resistance. And as we know, the Borg said that's futile, but we won't go there. Uh, The opposite of submission is resistance. So if you feel yourself resisting something that the word is telling you, guess what? You're in resistance against God. And how successful is resisting God? Hmm. Doesn't ever work out well, does it? In the end, in the end, it's like, like I heard one preacher say, We never break God's laws. We are broken by them. We are never going to break God's laws. His laws will break us. Because when we resist what his word says, when we resist his commands, when we resist his love, who gets hurt? Us. Now, it hurts God. In the sense that he's a loving God and wants us to succeed, wants us to have the best. But ultimately, it's going to hurt us. The antidote to the fear of submission is trusting his love. Say it again. The antidote to the fear of submission is trusting his love. The wife's submission is to be reciprocated by the husband's love. And that transitions us to the next verse. So everything we've talked about here about submission, now we're going to talk about the husband's love. Because the wife's submission is to be reciprocated by the husband's love. If the husband doesn't reciprocate with love when the wife is submitting, tensions, problems, issues will arise. That's the root of it right there. Paul writes in verse 19, Husbands, love your wives. Do not be embittered against them. I could do a whole message just on that little word right there. Embittered against them. Husbands, love your wives. Be affectionate and sympathetic with them and do not be harsh or bitter or resentful toward them. That's amplified. Finally, in the message, it says, Husbands, go all out in love for your wives and don't take advantage of them. Don't take advantage of them. Don't abuse your wife's vulnerability. Never abuse your wife's vulnerability. If you want to make God angry, abuse one he loves. Abuse one that he has trusted to you to love as he does. That will get God's attention and not in good ways. We need to remember that. That's a a key thing to take away. Don't take advantage of them, means don't abuse their vulnerability. So let's talk about love. Headship, this thing about authority and stuff. Headship is not dictatorship. Headship is not lordship. There's one Lord. His name is Jesus. He's the Lord. He's the one. You see, sometimes we get so blown up with ourselves that we think we have authority to do this and that and the other, and we don't. All we have is what God says we have. The only authority we have is the authority that He has given us. The authority through Christ. My chain of authority, my source of authority is not in here. My chain of authority is Him. It's the lordship of Christ that says, you're the the leadership of the household. And therefore, you're to do as I tell you to do toward those that are coming under your leadership. Headship is loving leadership. Both husband and wife must be submitted to the Lord and then to each other. You can look at Ephesians 5.21 for that. So it's all about submission. You see, the husband doesn't get away without submitting. The husband has to be submitted to the Lordship of Christ in order for the wife to properly submit to him. Because technically, really, she's not submitting to me. She's submitting to the Lordship of Christ, who tells her to, that I'm, I'm supposed to be the leader of the home. The problem is some, some men shirk that leadership or abuse it and misuse it, and then it's no longer leadership. It's abuse. Sorry. It's a mutual respect thing under the lordship of Jesus Christ. So it's not, you know, well, I'm the head of the house. It's Jesus wants me to lead us. Yeah. Jesus wants me to lead us. And so come alongside me and let's, let's see where he wants to take us. That's awesome. yeah. It's not this kind of hierarchical chain of command thing where, you know, I dare you to say something to your wife like, okay, private, clean that up. (laughs) After you pick yourself and your teeth up (laughs) from being hit with whatever she had handy. He goes on for the husbands. He says, demonstrate for your love. Demonstrate your love for your wife by, first of all, affection. Now, this is something that seems to be a mystery for men. Wives need affection. Wives need affection. And that's right where we start getting, "Mm," you know, men say, oh, man, that gooey, ooey stuff. And so we try to bring flowers and candy, and we think that's affection. That ain't affection, guys. Hugs. Kisses, proper touches. Even in marriage, it has to be proper touches. She's not shadow. She's not property. She's God's creation. Tell her how much you care for her. Yes, even though you said it, I love you, runs off the tongue pretty easy. So demonstration of affection is key. Demonstration of affection is key. Something that she can really understand is you telling her I love you in other ways than just the three words. Both husband and wife must be submitted to Christ. And so give her cards, flowers, gifts. Yes, but don't let that be the only thing that you give her. Give her your attention. We'll get to that in a minute. Because the next thing that God wants us to give our wives in demonstrating our love is communication. Those dreaded words, let's talk. Husbands dread those words. We need to talk. You know, let's talk. Communication. It's one of the first things I I usually do in pre-marriage counseling is give us instruction and tools on how to properly communicate and effectively communicate with one another. Here's one for the guys that makes communication hard. Talk on the feeling level. See, guys are all all about facts, women are mostly about feelings. And the two shall rarely, if ever, meet. You know? The fact that I feel is, is kind of disconcerting for me sometimes. You know? Listen with concern and interest. One of the the key parts, the primary parts of effective communication is effective listening. To be able to say, I actually heard and understood what she was trying to say to me. Communication, effective communication has to be understood. It has to be in a way that shows that concern and that interest to what's being said. And one, one good way and a simple way is what's called reflective listening. Reflective listening is when you hear what she's saying to you and then you kind of parse that into your own language and say it back to her in such a way that she can tell you, yeah, you got it, or no, that's not what I meant. And then we can come at it another way and make sure that before we get out of that conversation, Communication has taken place because she's heard what she said or she he's heard what she said That makes sense Just that one little tool will help you a lot And avoid miscommunication Encourage and praise her positive character traits Don't focus on the negative. I mean there's times when you might have to but boy tread carefully Put that even in an affirmative voice in an affirmative way, but encourage her and praise her in a positive way, okay? Now, when you're first married and, and maybe she hasn't done that much cooking or she gets nervous cooking for you or, you know, there are, you get nervous cooking for her and, and there's kind of that tension, you know, well, did I do this right? And, and uh, you, you lie to each other and say, oh, yeah, that was great. No, see, lying is not part of trust building. Reality. But you can say that. You can say things in a way that doesn't offend, that doesn't denigrate, that doesn't put down the other person. If you choose your words carefully, and that's part of our issue. See, we don't choose our words very carefully sometimes. Look at Facebook and you'll see. We say things and immediately want to edit or delete. But when we're saying that verbally to one another as a couple, You can't do that. There's no edit or delete button. What's said is said, and what's heard is heard. And then you have to go back and untangle the whole mess, which gets a lot more complicated. Anybody have those complicated moments? Yeah. That's why I stay busy as a counselor sometimes. Okay, we demonstrate our love for her in honesty. We commit to total truthfulness. We commit to tell the truth. Now that can be scary sometimes. But you will find out in the long run when you tell the truth, it's a lot easier to deal with in the long run. Rather than having to come back months later and explain why you lied. Or explain why you tried to hide something from her or from him that at the moment would have been insignificant if you had dealt with it, but now has become something much greater. Okay, I'll move on. That's getting such great response. Um, discuss your plans and activities clearly. In other words, don't just come in and announce, hey, we're going on vacation to this place, and uh, we're going for a week, and these are the dates, and I've got everything. Well, what does that do? That's like chunking a hand grenade in the middle of things, right? It kind of blows things up. Yeah. Financial security. Oh, now we're having fun. Financial security. Shoulder responsibility for the finances. In our house, Diane is a bookkeeper. She, she worked for years in bookkeeping, in accounting, in preparing taxes for other people. So guess who does the, the taxes and the accounting and keeping the checkbook in our house? Not me. I've got an expert living with me. Why would I do that? That would be dumb. It doesn't mean that we don't talk about things and run things past each other so that we know what as a couple what's going on. But I know where my limitations are. And checking numbers and balancing checkbooks is not that, you know. I did it as a department head when I was working, but it wasn't no fun. It was something I dreaded every month when I had to do it. So, financial security. Consult one another to best use resources. It might just be that one of you could come up with a better idea than the other, or at least a a more favorable idea, not in the comparison of, you know, this is good and yours is bad, but in the sense of supporting one another and saying let's get the best out of both of us, because we do have ideas. God created us to have brains that have ideas. And sometimes hers is going to elevate, or sometimes his is going to elevate. To a level that the other may not have thought of. That's why we're helpmates in the scripture. That's why we're two becoming one flesh, is because we're working together for a purpose, for a family. All right, I'll get off of it. <sighs> Don't forget to prepare a budget, too. See Brian back there, he'll help you. Commitment is the last of these that I'm gonna talk about today. Demonstrate your love for her by commitment. Make your wife and family your highest earthly priority. Make your wife and family your highest earthly priority because you'll find that earning (laughs) that extra favor with the boss, getting that raise, getting that promotion is going to sound pretty empty somewhere down the line if you neglect your family and you no longer have a relationship with your wife or kids because you have a better relationship with your boss and your money. Hmm. It's quiet again. Um, Commitment, schedule, quality and quantity, time, alone with each other. You have to be purposeful about it. Otherwise, you know, even though we've all been given the same 24-7, Unless we schedule, unless we purposely draw apart, it ain't going to happen. The enemy will ensure that something fills in. And sometimes that becomes church activities. We become so busy in church or involving ourselves in church that we neglect one another. And that's not pleasing to God either. There is balance. There is a possibility to work it all together and make it good but it involves commitment. It involves making uncomfortable priorities. So, (laughs) you ready for me to move off of that section? Okay, where are we in time? Okay, good. The idea that God's love flows from God to us, from us, back to God, and then from that to one another. has to be established. It's not me loving on my own. It's because God first loved me that I can love him. That's scripture. And then it's because his love resides in me and abides in me and has a continual flow in and through me that I can love others. Because otherwise, we're pretty selfish, aren't we? Well, maybe that's just me. I won't speak for you guys. But I find myself, I can become very self-focused and self-centered and navel-gazing, you know, if I don't focus on the love of God and allowing his love to become the priority of my actions. God's love is what we need to be in a relationship with him, to have his love flow in us and then through us out to others. And that's what makes a congregation a family. Can I just say that that's what makes CLF what it is? Is that the love of God has been responded to by you and then shared with each other through you so that you not only have this individual relationship where he is directly speaking his love into your life and you are individually speaking your love back to him, but then we are also speaking his love to one another as we relate to the family of God. In the church. That's what makes this place so unique. The love of God. A priority. Okay, let's get back to the tougher stuff. Trust is tied to the question of motivation. Now, how does that work with love? Well, you see, what we're always looking for is that ulterior motive, aren't we? That's where trust erodes. Why does God love me? What's his angle? He doesn't have one. That's why his love is unconditional. He doesn't love when or if like we do. He just loves, period. And knowing who we are, what we have done, and what we will do, his love is constant. That's good news. Anybody wants to can give him a shout of praise for that, you know? It's good news because God knows. You see, the scripture says he knows the end from the beginning. That means he's seen every bit of our lifespan already because he's in eternity outside of time. So he saw when the clock started because he started it, and he knows when the clock is going to stop because he's the one that's going to say enough. And everything that happened in between there. Relative to us, it's in our past or in our future or in our now. But to him, it's all one thing. And yet, knowing us as we have been, as we are now, and what we will be, he loves. Wrap your hearts around that. Wrap your hearts around that. I think it will help you to love God without questioning motivation. And when we see his love in us, that's the why does God love me, why do I love God? It comes to that point when we see his love, his unconditional love, it answers the question, why should I trust God? Why should I trust God? Because he loves me unconditionally. And everything he does is going to be for my good. Even though that, everything he does may be sometimes painful to our flesh, it's all done in love for our betterment, for our good. Then it answers the question, why should I love others? Because God loved you. Who am I not to love somebody that God loves? He loved me all knowing all about me. Then who am I to pass judgment on somebody else and say, well, they're not worthy of my love. Yes, they are. They're worthy of God's love in you. So get over yourself. Love God. Why should I trust or obey or submit to God and others? Because of love. Love. Does that mean that sometimes you might be taken advantage of? Probably, yeah. We live in a carnal world. We live in a world of people that are deceitful and sometimes very, you know, subtle in their deceptions who might want to take advantage of us. But does that mean that God says, okay, you don't have to love that one? No. (laughs) He says, love them and let me worry about that other stuff. Let me worry about judgment. Let me worry about keeping the scales even. You're called to love. And by this shall all know that you are my disciples. (laughs) That we love one another. So the opposite of love is rejection. Remember the opposite of submission is resistance. The opposite of love is rejection. The antidote to the fear of love, and some people have this fear of love because they don't trust. So the antidote to the fear of love is trusting his love. Perfect love cast out all fear. The antidote, the remedy to fear and to not trusting is God's love. His love is constant. His love is unconditional. His love is trustworthy. Love plus trust equals intimacy with God. When we can love him as he has loved us and trust him and trust who he is and trust what his word says, then that leads to intimacy. And the same thing works in human relationships. When we can love and trust our partner, when we can love and trust our partner, real intimacy becomes real in our lives. Intimacy is not just in the bed. Intimacy must begin long before that in a relationship of love based in trust or a relationship of trust based in love. You can wrap that formula any way you want to. But genuine intimacy. If you want to make your love life better in the physical, make it better here by loving better and trusting better one another. Now see, it got real quiet again as I was talking about sex. Oh well, moving on. Intimacy is developed through prayer and worship intimacy is developed through prayer and worship so what we do on Sundays here through our times of prayer and our times of worship is developing intimacy or it should be developing intimacy with God not just entertainment and the same thing happens in our human relationships Prayer is talking to, isn't it? It's an exchange. It's, a it's not just us bringing a wish list to God. It's talking to him and having him talk to us. That's what prayer is. Worship is that awe, that respect, that reverence. The same thing can happen to a married couple that we demonstrate in God, in our relationship with God. I think I'm losing you. Trusting in God's love is the motivation for intimacy that allows us to submit and obey. That's a mouthful, it's a headful. Wrap your heads around that. Trusting in God's love is the motivation for intimacy and that intimacy is what allows us to submit and obey. You don't write down anything else, write that one down and then work on it because it's not something you're gonna accomplish this afternoon, (laughs) it's a lifelong effort. Verse 20. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this is pleasing to the Lord and amplified. And then message, children, do what your parents tell you to. This delights the master to no end. So the purpose of children obeying parents is not to prove that the parents are better or no more or have authority and, you know, they... You're under my thumb? It's to please the Lord. If we make that the goal in our children's lives, discipline becomes a lot easier. All those other little things that children come up with to challenge us becomes a lot easier when we do that. We make the end purpose delighting the master. So obedience means to comply with the commands of another. It's an outer act of conformity, submission. A mandatory compliance to the commands of the one who is in authority. Obedience is the Old Testament meaning listen to what God says in his commandments and then obey them. Again, delayed obedience is disobedience, so remember that. When we talk about the relationship of of this obedience in relationship to the family of God, let's talk about that as we did the other. We need to obey the Father's commands. That's mostly in the Old Testament. You say, well, we don't live in the Old Testament law. No, we live under grace, which is even... (laughs) Take all that that's been said in the Old Testament and carry it over. You, You don't have to do ceremonial laws because Jesus took care of all the ceremony but there are principles and moral teachings in the Old Testament that still apply to us today. None of the Ten Commandments have expired. In spite of what many would like us to believe, it would be much more comfortable. But obedience means obeying the Father's commands. Obedience means obeying the Son's teachings. Look in the Gospels. Look at what Jesus taught us about Relating to God and relating to one another. Relating to those who claim to be religious. Relating to those who go around wearing masks. Relating to those who think that they're better than you. Relating to those who are sick and weak. Relating to those who are hungry and poor. Teachings of Jesus throughout the Gospels teach us how to obey. By obeying what he says. And Jesus himself said, right, (laughs) if you love me, keep my commandments. Love and commandments in the same verse. How about that? They do relate to one another. Obey the Holy Spirit's leading. That means that when you open your Bible for your time of meditation, your time of Bible reading, be prepared to hear from God be prepared to hear from God because he's speaking. There was an old song back, I forget now, 80s, 90s, that uh, it was something like, he is not silent, we are not listening. He is not silent, we are not listening. Read the word with your ears open and be prepared to hear from God and obey. And then obeying those who he places over us, Another fun topic, but I'll just leave it at that and uh, just tell you that this is what God expects us to do. This is what biblical obedience looks like. The scripture gives some people positions in the church, elders, bishops, those kinds of things, deacons, and we're supposed to be able to help one another. Again, obedience is not about lauding it over someone. Obedience is about helping each other. Okay? Submission. So we need to obey those whom he places over us. I got this little quote from a book that I was reading that helped me get some of these points together. It says, from the nursery school to the nursing home, our hearts rebel against having someone telling us what to do. Right. Whether we're in the nursing school, if you if you're ever, my, my oldest girl teaches nursery in kindergarten kids, you know, and uh, it's the battle of the wills. <laughs> so, yes, the, the Christian life is, is one of faith and trust in the loving care of God. And we are wise when we see him providing direction and protection through those he places in authority over us. I thank God for Pastor Mark, whom God has placed in authority over this church's pastor. I thank God for those that are willing to serve, not because of great titles of salary, but because this is what God has called them to do. There's this scripture that says, if you want to be great in the kingdom... Be the servant of all. That's obedience. That's called obedience. So, moving along again. I know. I'm, I'm trying. The opposite of obedience is rebellion. So, we've talked about all these little R words, but now we come down to the real one oh, rebellion. The opposite of obedience is rebellion and the antidote to the fear of submission and obedience is trusting his love. It comes back to that same principle, doesn't it? Have you heard the word love today at all in this message? Because who is God? God is love. And it's not this mushy-gushy romantic type of love that, you know, is hot some days and cold others. It's who he is. And then good, good father just went through my head. Uh, But it's it's who God is. He is love. That's his nature. That's his character. That's the core of who he is. And he wants to get that instilled in us, his creation. That means the fear of submission has to go, being cast out by the perfect love of the father who says, you can trust me. We used to sing an old hymn called Trust and Obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Yeah, I dated myself, that's okay. So quickly in verse 21, just to get this done so Pastor Mark doesn't have to deal with this one too because it's kind of related to the family thing. Fathers, our parents, do not exasperate your children so that they lose heart. Fathers, do not provoke or irritate or fret your children. Do not be hard on them or harass them lest they become discouraged and sullen and morose and feel inferior and frustrated. Sounds like kind of teenagers. Isn't it? <clears throat> Do not break their spirit. That's the amplified. And then the message says, Parents, don't come down so hard on your children or you'll crush their spirits. See, a lot of the issues that we have with our youth is because of poor parenting. We haven't parented in the model of God in Scripture. We have parented in the model of I am the authority, do as I say. And what does that do? It raises up that natural fallen spirit of rebellion. And back then, in Paul's day especially, fathers used to be the disciplinarians to the exclusion of of the mothers. And fathers used to be brutal. I mean it was like being in a work camp when you messed up, you know. They'd put you to cracking rocks or something. They, they were really brutal back then in the Roman period. Now, we've progressed a little bit since then, but you still find the occasional caveman, you know, that's there trying to implement his will over others just because he's the father, he's the dad, he's the head of the house. Not scriptural, not scriptural. So, parents and children, it's all about submission, and love, and obeying. He says, don't provoke. That means don't exasperate. Exasperate, what what does exasperate mean? It means kind of push to the end, doesn't it? Push to the limit. Don't exasperate your children where they feel like they don't have any other choice. Have you heard about the rates of suicide among kids nowadays? I mean, they get enough pressure and junk at school and in their social circles, without parents having to add to that. Don't irritate. Don't harass. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Kids are sometimes easy targets, you know, to make us feel better about ourselves, because I can put him down, make him cry just like that. Oh, big goal. Don't crush their spirits, he says. Don't discourage them. Don't frustrate them. Don't cause them to feel inferior. Instead, support them in what they do right, correct with love what they do wrong. And by the way, I'll put in my free advertisement for uh, next month. We have a parenting class starting on Wednesday nights in April. Uh, It's by Chip Ingram, and I've combined two of his series, uh, Effective Parenting in a Defective World, and then House and Home, um, God's Blueprint for Biblical Parenting. And we're going to take some sessions out of that and talk about how to raise positive kids in a negative world. How to discipline your child effectively according to biblical principles. And answer the question, is technology helping or hurting our kids? And then we're going to talk about, is there hope for single parents and blended families? There's a lot of folks I know that are part of our fellowship, part of our family, they're single parents and part of blended families, and we need to help and assist them in that struggle. So we're going to start doing that in April, and uh, we we may go on for a few weeks in that because I want to take time to, to make sure we do that right and that we get it in our hearts so that we can effectively use it in our day-to-day lives in our homes and uh, make CLF a place where good parenting takes place. So. The conclusion is this, and you say, wow, good, he's coming to the conclusion. Just remember, some preachers say, and then in conclusion, and then maybe 45 minutes later, they, they ask, no, I'm not going to do that to you. We are family, and that means that we need to submit and love and obey in accordance to the word of God. I've quoted these already to you, but it doesn't hurt to hear them again. John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. A demonstration and a proof of our love for Christ is obeying. Matthew 20:26, 20, whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And I think that's what makes CLF what it is too. There's a lot of servants here that are willing to do what God asks them to do to help one another. Not in a sense of, well, I'm so much better than you and I've got it all together. So, but in the sense of we are family, let's help one another to grow. And prosper in God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your great, consistent, unconditional love. Lord, help us to bear that reality in our own hearts and minds so that it becomes a foundation of our relationship with others. Lord, you've done that here in this church. To a great extent, but Lord, we have so much more room to grow. May the words that we have heard today challenge us, be brought back to our remembrance by the Holy Spirit, so that in the days ahead, we can continue to apply the truth of your word to this family. We pray it in Christ's name and to his glory, amen.